Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of Finnerin's Wake. By popular demand, I'm joined again by my father, Richard Finnerin, who comes to us now not from the patio in Florida, uh, where we last recorded our first conversation, our inaugural conversation, but from the, the north, New Jersey, where he resides. So, Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I uh, I really wanted to try to do this from the patio. Unfortunately, it gets dark very quickly, and I think it's about 35 degrees today out there. So uh, I had to move everything inside. Intolerably chilly. Today yeah. in Florida, southwest Florida, it's, al it's also a bit unseasonably brisk. Uh, I think it was about 60 degrees this morning. So, of course, for my uh, seven-mile run, I was quite bundled up and moving at a, a very quick clip in order to escape uh, the inhospitable weather. So I'm glad that you were able to connect, uh, that you were able to survive that 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 chilly that chilly uh, Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to discuss uh, one of the big news items of the week, perhaps one of the biggest news items of the year about which everyone is talking, and that is former President Trump's announcement. Uh, that he will be seeking once again, now for the third time, um, the presidency in the year 2024. So he announced this on the 15th of November. Uh, he was originally planning to do so, according to his confidants and those to whom he um, unbosoms himself uh, earlier, perhaps even prior to the midterm elections, um, which probably would have been ill-advised given the toxicity of his name um, in a lot of uh, voting quarters. Uh, now, a lot of people then uh, recommended that he wait even a bit longer until after the runoff election, which is going to happen in Georgia at the beginning of December. But um, unable to keep his powder dry, he uh, fired away and he launched his campaign uh, a few days ago. So. Upon hearing this, what were your first reactions? Um, I thought it was a little early for him to step in. Uh, we talked about it in episode one of uh, Patio Politics, where he's a real attention whore. And I think the thrill of the midterms or the news of the midterms got his juices going, and he needed to be in the public limelight. Um, I really do think that he jumped in a little bit early. Uh, there's really no one for him to yell at right now or challenge because no one else from the Republican Party has announced that they're going to run for president. So I would think that uh, President Biden will take most of the flack right now. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see his his announcement or his speech i heard it ran for about an hour um and um i'm not really sure what the reaction to the speech was have you heard anything uh, no the i think the response has been rather subdued um i think only the closest observers of politics really paid it much attention even the networks on which it was airing cut 
cut prematurely away from the away from the talk because of its length. Uh, Fox News, for instance, only showed I think maybe half of it, or or maybe a little bit more than half. I think you one would have to <laughs> slouch on over to C-SPAN to watch it in its entirety. I did, for the sake of time, I did read the transcript um, in all of its traditional Trumpian rhetoric, <laughs> and um, you know, it, it reads sort of like a like a State of the Union address in some ways. Um, again, he seems to be trying to recapture that outsider's approach to politics, but. It's not a really strong pitch after having served as the uh, commander in chief, the chief executive of our of our federal government for the past well, for four years. Um, so I can just speak to the general layman's response, right? So in my normal workaday life, I don't think anyone really mentioned it. No one mentioned the speech, the fact that President Trump is running again hasn't really provoked certainly not a lot of positive response and I'm down here in Florida uh, Collier County of um, uh, an area in which Trump is generally revered and still there hasn't been much excitement over this announcement so I don't know if that that augurs ill or if that augurs well for him going forward um, but that was that was what I experienced um, now, you say that it might have been a bit premature for him to announce. Why do you think he did so at this point? Now, you mentioned the fact that he he's um, uh, desirous of media attention, um, but do you think there was a, a deeper strategy behind his doing so? I don't know if it's somehow to take attention away from a lot of the a lot of the negative press that he's under um with the january 6th hearings with some investigations that are going on uh with the fbi he to me i think he's going to punch himself out he's you know again he's going to be yelling at the yelling at the darkness yelling at the moon uh he's probably at his best his Probably the his most vehement followers love him the most when he's creating nicknames for people, uh, being crass. Uh, it's it's him against the swamp. But to be honest, he's sort of becoming part of the swamp. He, as you said earlier, he's not really looked at as an outsider any longer. I mean, he was an insider for four years and moving forward, he's maintained relationships with all these, these insiders. They're part of his team and they've been meeting on a regular basis. They're giving him advice. So I, I just think it's very, very early. He could have done this a year from now uh, and, and still have been fine. Yeah, it's, it's akin to the, the heavyweight fighter right being at the top of the mountain no longer playing that role of underdog yet still trying to capture that spirit um those by whom he's surrounded are very well entrenched in this in this system you say that you know it was his original intention to go in and clear the swamp well the swamp 
so to speak, pre-existed him and will will succeed him. <laughs> it, it's the unfortunate reality in Washington, D.C., in our uh, federal government, that this sort of bureaucratic state to which we give the name Swamp um, likely will always exist in some form or another. Now, that has its merits and it has its demerits. I think as of late, we've seen um, in, in um, disturbing examples and in, in distressing ways, the, the ill effects of having a, a permanent bureaucratic class um, always presiding over what's happening in, in uh, our government. But if you think of those, um, those people whom President Trump uh, appointed or elevated, right? So um, Anthony Fauci, for instance, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, whatever your opinion of him and his conduct during the past three years or four years might be, um, the reason why he has become the face of America's medical um, response, let's say, to this global pandemic and to other pandemics, such as HIV in the past, is that President Trump elevated him to that position. You look at um, the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray, again, a man uh, whom President Trump elevated to that to that role. So, um, you know, it's it's difficult at this point to to present oneself as this outside force when for many years, at least for the past few years, he's been in the midst of everything. Um, I think part of that um, that idealized picture of him does still persist in a lot of people's minds just because he never was and never shall be accepted by the, the governing class, right? He'll always be seen as this, like you said, crass, <laughs> unsophisticated, unpolished, unlearned, um, kind of boorish figure who'll never quite be at ease with the with the with the ruling class, right? Among whom figures like President Obama and President Bush, to a lesser extent, but President Bush and and John Kerry move. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I'm very curious as to how history is going to see him after his passing. Um, will they look at some of the positive things that he's done? And there are some, you know, who, who say he's done nothing positive. Um, I, I disagree with that. Um, but how will history look look upon him? Well, how do you predict uh, history will look upon him? If you were to write his uh, a summation of his, perhaps not of his life, but uh, of his political life, um, how would you grade it? Would you look upon it favorably, unfavorably? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, he, there are some things that he has done that have been favorable. Uh, again, we had talked about this in episode one, uh, becoming oil independent. I thought that that was great. And there's a lot of things that he's done that are just really frowned upon. And the, and the public is very, very fickle. He, I, I think right now he could, he could win the primaries unless, unless he punches himself out. But I don't really think he's going to win the general election. And by punches himself out, can you expand upon that? Well, what would that look like in your eyes as a, again, as sort of a moderate center, right? 
um, observer of politics and eventual voter in, in the election of 2024. Well, I don't think that he's got gotten involved in Herschel Walker's real or uh, the, the um, where, where they're going to have to vote again. I don't believe that he has, unless you've heard something different. No, I don't think there's any intimate involvement. In fact, I think there's, uh, if it's happening at all, even from the periphery, uh, I think it's it's underemphasized. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's something on which the Walker campaign is particularly keen to focus. And we spoke earlier about him taking jabs at DeSantis before descent, before the election. Two, two, or, two or three days before the election, he was taking jabs at DeSantis. Now, Trump doesn't even know who is, who's he's going to be running against, who his competition is. So I think he's going to look uh, amateurish. Yeah. Do you think amateurish or perhaps a little bit desperate? Uh, do you think it's wise of him and his team to attempt to quote unquote, clear the field at this very early juncture. No, I don't think that's a smart move at all. And they're going to continue to spend money uh, clearing the field. Uh, they've probably put together a team. They've got to pay for the team. I don't think that he's going to start advertising now, but it, it costs money to start your campaign. Right. Uh, and of course, a lot of that money was withheld from uh, senators <laughs> in the races um, that were very contentious and in many cases lost by the Republican um, candidates. So uh, one would presume that there is uh, uh, enough money on hand, at least to begin this process. And I've heard reports that the plan henceforth is to is to work with a, a leaner team, right? Not so many staff members and to be a little bit more um, cost conscious and focused because at the same time, you know, you have to remember that this man is continually uh, fending off uh, litigators and prosecutors. And I mean, the, the legal bills alone must be exorbitant. And I think I read recently that the, the RNC, the Republican National uh, Committee is no longer going to be financing some of these legal challenges uh, up against which um, president trump is always is always set um so yeah you make you make great points now tell me uh, if you had to predict what would happen in 2023 and 4 right going into that fall election uh, the presidential election who do you see Competing, do you picture it to be a, a, another iteration of President Biden and President Trump going at it head to head? Or do you foresee something and someone a little bit different? I would hope, again, we had talked about self-care in episode one. I, I would hope that Biden does not attempt another run at the presidency. Uh, but I'm sure he's got all the backing of the Democratic Party People feel that he's the one who could beat Trump. He's, he beat Trump the first time, although Trump won't admit to that. But but Biden is a you know is the president. He is the winner of that election. And I really hope it's. I mean, I think the Democratic bench is a little is a little light. They're a little thin. I know there's talk of Gavin Newsom uh, running. 
for president. And I would imagine Gavin Newsom is going to see if President Biden steps aside. But if President Biden doesn't step aside, I, I can't imagine anyone primarying him. Uh, that, that would be the probably the first time in history. I don't think the vice president really is that popular. Uh, I don't personally believe that she's capable. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. Um, and it's kind of like proven out. She is the border czar and she's yet, I don't think she's yet to go to the border. Uh, I know if that, if someone told me, Hey, your job is to, you know, go to, go to the city of Camden and, and help with the crime there see what you can do. I know I would go to the city of Camden and see what I could do and meet with people and formulate a plan. Uh, so I, unless, unless it's a grandiose plot to have her fail, but I think she's doing a pretty good job of it on, on her own. But again, it get, it gets back to, you know, people voting Republican or voting Democrat and, and, I think the key is winning the independence over, which can be difficult. Uh, I'm not sure how how Kamala Harris plays with the independence, but I don't really think if there was a Trump Biden runoff for for president, I, I I don't think that the voters would be enthused at all to to show up. Uh, you, you'll have Trump's base. The independents would probably go to Biden. And if the economy turns around, Biden would stand a very good chance of, of winning head to head. If you put somebody else up against Biden, I think if, let's just say, DeSantis comes out of the primaries ahead of Trump, I think the way DeSantis turned around Florida, where a lot of independents and a lot of Democrats actually voted for him that that's what you need you need this sort of transformational leadership you need a plan i don't I, and, and getting back to the midterms I, I know i'm kind of getting all over the chart here but the republicans really didn't offer a plan you know they complained about crime they complained about the economy they complained about safety security general lawlessness but they didn't explain a plan they didn't come up with, okay, this is what we are going to do. This this is my plan to reduce inflation. This is my plan to reduce crime. I'm going to fund the police. I'm going to have more uh, police officers uh, in the academy. I'm going to make police officers feel important so that they're not leaving in mass numbers. I don't think that the Republicans did a very good job of of explaining what it is that they were going to do. The, the Democrats certainly didn't because they they certainly couldn't defend the current economy. So the, right, which is why, in, yeah, which is why they very studiously <laughs> avoided even an attempt to do so. All right, they focused on really two things. They focused on the assault on women's reproductive rights. Uh, which in swing states like Pennsylvania and Nevada and Arizona had much more salience than, frankly, I thought it would. Um, 
Now, when I was talking with Professor uh, Mark Schratt uh, recently on my latest uh, episode, he he pointed this out, and I thought initially that surely it, it couldn't have been the case that given the circumstances in which we're living, when the economy is just um, doing so poorly, uh, with gas prices being so high and inflation creeping ever higher, uh, and the the issues, um, I'm sorry, internationally, the foreign policy has been quite quite disastrous as well. I thought that an issue like reproductive health would be would be less uh, weighty at this time. And then it's also the the narrative that democracy is on the ballot, right? That should this uh, election go the wrong way, <laughs> um, whatever that might be. I suppose it totally depends on your uh, initial perspective on which way is wrong. But should this election go the wrong way, then democracy, the very essence, the very um, ideal on which this country is founded would be lost. Now, of course, we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. But, you know, that's a, a semantic point on which we no longer quibble. Those two, those two issues, I think, were the ones on which the, de the Democrats focused. And that ultimately drew out a lot of independent voters. So they were um, clever, I think, in the way in which they reframed the the issue, the election. Whereas, like you said, the Republican Party didn't have as strong a, a message, as compelling a story, why an independent like yourself, maybe, who is sort of um, uncertain as to which side to go, uh, why he wouldn't be drawn to the Republican side. It wasn't enough in this instance simply to stand back and point to the other side and and to to um, s highlight some of the zeal and the craziness that has overtaken that party. Uh, whereas I thought it, it might be enough because the party has become quite zealous and crazy, um, but ultimately it wasn't. You mentioned uh, DeSantis's victory. Now I'm curious, uh, perhaps we might see nationally on a, on, on a federal stage, um, a reflection of what happened on the state stage. So recall back to 2018 when Ron DeSantis, then just a, I think a congressman from the state of Florida, uh, had his um, gubernatorial um, election against Andrew Gillum, the Democrat, former mayor of Tallahassee, I believe. Uh, now, of course, he won that election very narrowly by about 30,000 votes, which in Florida was was extraordinary because this state had come from uh, at least an incumbency of, of Governor Rick Scott, who's now in the Senate. The state was purple, I would say, not quite as red, certainly not as red as it is now. Um, and there were a lot of questions about these two mostly unknown figures. Now you fast forward to 2022, the recent results from this state's election that saw DeSantis defeat uh, his challenger, Charlie Crist, by about one, what was it, a million votes and about 20%. So it was a huge margin of victory. I wonder if DeSantis were to run in 2024 on the Republican ticket, if we might not see something similar, history repeating itself in a certain way on the national stage. Uh, so you could see perhaps uh, a governor, I'm sorry, Ron DeSantis at that point, candidate, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis, challenging 
Joe Biden perhaps beating him narrowly, perhaps uh, governing well, having a very competent administration, um, carrying on the successes of Florida to uh, America writ large, and then perhaps in 2028, having a, a very wide margin of success in perhaps a subsequent term. I know this is looking way out into the future and all the way toward 2028, but I could foresee something like that happening if Ron DeSantis were to run in 2024 and get the, the nomination, which is a big question mark at this point. But uh, that's a, that's a, a picture uh, in my mind that I see um, increasingly vividly. I could see that happening. Now, uh, predicting a little bit more, if, and these are all hypotheticals, but if President Trump were to run again, were to secure the nomination for the Republican Party and challenge the incumbent Joe Biden, <laughs> whom we can presume is running again, I, I easily can foresee President Biden uh, defeating um, former President Trump in that race. My twist on this story, though, is that President Biden um, unburdens himself of a highly unpopular vice president, Kamala Harris, perhaps shuffles her off to another uh, administrative post, or she simply bows out and, and goes into public office in the state of California uh, in which she lives, from which she comes, and in her place elevates Gavin Newsom, of whom you made mention. So in this instance, it would be Biden, Newsom. I could then foresee a few years later, uh, with the advancement of his age, um, either the 25th Amendment being evoked, which is probably less likely, or President Biden simply resigning, okay? Which would allow Newsom, let's say two or three years of Biden's presidency, he could then run again for his first term in 2028, and then he'd be viable as a candidate in what, 2032. This, I've, it's, it's highly unlikely and it's a lot of pieces falling together and it's probably not even worth um, pondering about, but it is a thought that I had today while at work. Um, what if all these pieces were, were to fall into place and we would have a, President Ga Gavin Newsom for what, 12, <laughs> 10 or 11 years? It's a possibility and, and many a Californian's dream. Your thoughts about that? <laughs> well, I don't play the lottery. <laughs> you've, got a lot of, you've got a lot of what ifs there. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's cons not cons conspiracy theory. It's, it's creative thinking. It's very imaginative. Imagine I was a bit bored at work today, <laughs> but I don't see, I, I mean, what's the, again, what's the off ramp for Kamala Harris to move out of the way to, you know, she's the slay queen. So uh, I, I really don't think that, um, that she's going to go anywhere. Um, she's probably so close that she can taste it. Uh, you know, she's a heartbeat away and it's a, it's a faint heartbeat. <laughs> not that, not that I'm, you know, not that I'm wishing any ill will, and it's, I probably shouldn't joke, but um, 
Oh, no, I mean, I, it's just the reality of, of human existence. Yeah, I mean, again, all these factors are, are um, taking for granted the fact that everyone in this class, this, this geriatric class of uh, politicians remains alive, which is a very <laughs> uncertain um, proposition. And that's something about which I think we should talk just very briefly is the the overall and this is a theme to which I often return because it, it, I think it's very disturbing. The fact that just as of yesterday, we had the announcement from uh, Nancy Pelosi that she will not be seeking uh, re-election uh, after the, the termination of her of her term. Um, she's 82 years of age. Uh, President Biden is either 79 or 80 at this point. President, Former President Trump will probably be close. What would he be? He would probably be 78 at the time of his election, maybe 79. Um, so what do you think about, again, uh, two octogenarians, right? One with very minimal impulse control, the other with almost no um, control over his cognitive uh, faculties, vying again for the highest, most stressful, most eminent, most esteemed office that our country offers. So I think where you're going is you, you, you believe that Pelosi is going to run in 2024? <laughs> that Pelosi would make her 84. Yeah. That'll just that'll that'll get people to the polls. Pelosi Newsom, twenty twenty four. You 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 might as well throw that into the uh, into the bet if you're uh, if you're laying odds. I could lay some odds on Pelosi. Yeah, that that could happen. That's a possibility. No, but like, what do you what do you think about that? Like, uh, we seem to be a culture that's completely stuck. I think we're in a, well, I don't know if we're completely stuck because I think we're in a state of decay. So that wouldn't be stuck. I'd perhaps prefer to be stuck than <laughs> in an active uh, uh, state of decline. But think about the movies that we make, right? It's just redundancy. It's Marvel comic book movie after another. It's Black Panther. And then it's, you know, what, what is it? Um, want, want, what is the name of that land? Rwanda, not Rwanda. I can't remember. But um it's you know it's Iron Man one, it's Iron Man two, it's Iron Man three, and then it's the you know the the MCU coming together and everybody fighting the same uh, enemy over and again. Uh, we see the same thing in our politics. It's these same figures, these same families, the Bidens, the Bushes. Now it's the Trump, uh, just continuously running and and even into the old age. There's something again very disturbing about this theme, this this phenomenon, in my opinion. Um, what do you think about this, this tendency to repeat things in American culture today? I, I don't like it at all. And I'm glad someone of your age sees this and hoping that there's a lot more people in your generation who are, who, who are feeling this same way, move aside and let some of the younger people, let some of the younger candidates have a chance at, at governance. Uh, Again, I, I mentioned this in the last episode, and you you accused me of ageism. <laughs> but I think if you're in your 60s, you're, it's okay to mention it. But I, I will not vote for someone who's going to be 80 years old while they're in the White House. It's just, it's a crushing job to begin with. 
It, so regardless it, of party affiliation, you would not vote for someone uh, who was an octogenarian, someone in their 80s? Correct. Correct. I'm, I'm not going to pull a D or an R again. I'm an independent and I'm, I'm going to vote down the ticket, you know, which whoever the best candidate is, is going to be or who I feel is the best candidate. I, I really can't support it. What I see, what I see, and, and it's probably not in the best light, but it's, it's so often that they show it in the media, uh, President Biden wandering around, um, using the wrong names for people. Uh, he, he is not in charge of his faculties. Add in the, the additional stress for the next two years with whatever is going to happen on the worldwide stage, trying to correct the, um, the inflation problem, the recession that no one seems to feel that we're in, but trying to correct the recession, dealing with China, dealing with Korea now it looks like they're launching quite a few, quite a few missiles. They're they're looking for additional attention in the war in Russia, the Ukraine, and now the House of Representatives uh, taken over by the Republicans. They've kind of announced right away that they're going to be looking into Hunter Biden, which I think that's a little early. You know, they just got elected. They did again. They, you know, it wasn't by a landslide. They don't have a mandate. I always say that. You know, people who win by one or two votes feel like they now have a mandate. No, it was it was close. You know, I don't know the number of seats because I still think they're counting votes somewhere out in Alaska or or whatever. But um, but you know, it's it, it's certainly not a mandate. Do something about the economy. Do something about education. You know, and 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 some of the things that are going on in the schools. Do just do the local governance, the you know the state that you represent, the changes that you can make for those states instead of, you know, attacking. It's probably retribution for January sixth investigation or hearings or or whatever they're calling that. So it just gets to be, as an independent, it just looks, it just just looks vindictive. Uh, it's. If you're running on the economy and that's on everybody's mind to improve the economy, then then come up with a plan and take care of the economy. Don't the first day you take power of the House talk about, you know, tying Hunter Biden to, to Joe Biden. And you know what? Be careful when you impeach, because guess who's in the second seat? Yeah, and it's not as though these. Uh, Republicans and the Republican leadership hasn't had ample time to prepare for this, right? So they presumed, and perhaps this presumption was misplaced or at least over-exaggerated, but they presumed that they would have this red wave, that they, they would have this mandate uh, on which to work. But as it happens, they won the House by the slimmest of margins. They lost the Senate. And now they're left with what exactly? Like you said, they announce immediately their intention to investigate Hunter Biden as a means to further scrutinize Joe Biden, which is something I support. I mean, I support the investigation of any um, political family, for lack of a better word, in um, high office, occupying high office. 
who has had uh, extensive dealings abroad and perhaps um, <laughs> dealings of dubious uh, legality and morality. But that comes only when you can accomplish the most important things about which normal, independently-minded Americans are worried. Things like the economy, things like immigration, things like uh, drugs, the infiltration of, of our country by, by so many different drugs, um, foreign issues as well, like you mentioned, um, you know, China, North Korea, and Iran, and all these different things, energy, right? Oil production domestically and internationally. Um, once you can, can square those things away, right? You can get that house in good order. Then I think you really focus on the, the more, um, you can focus on that which will be viewed through a partisan lens. I don't want to say it's less important because again, I think it's vitally important that we know if our <laughs> president is beholden to any foreign power, it seems as though there are indications that he might be, or at least was. Um, but again, the, the mandate wasn't there. And I think the Republican leadership had a long time to think about this and a short time to pivot and adjust. And I think the reason that they're announcing their intention to, to probe into Hunter and uh, Joseph R. Biden is because they haven't, they haven't pivoted with as much alacrity as they probably should have and because they feel as though this is something that the base or those to whom they're um, um, by whom they're most uh, ardently cheered on is what they want to see happen which isn't good for the average american right independent voters uh, it's not the same appeal that the ravenous base has now the ravenous base wants you know they, they're out for blood uh, but I'm out for the economy. I'm out to improve things. Uh, I just, to have more hearings and more gridlock, that's really not what I voted for. Um, not that when I voted here in New Jersey, there was one uh, House of Representatives that, that I had an opportunity to vote for. Um, it, and other than that, it was voting down a ticket school board and um, I think a sheriff's officer and some other things. Uh, so it really wasn't that critical. But as an observer who's going to vote in the next presidential election, when 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 presented with an opportunity to make change, you're going to gridlock into an investigation into Hunter Biden because you want to please a ravenous base it it disenfranchises the independent voter and and the potential democratic voters who you could possibly win over the democratic voters who may have had enough like what what you were talking about earlier with the desantis type of win where he sort of won over a lot of democratic voters in florida based on his governance so you have to show good governance in order to gain voters and if you're just showing that the only thing you're capable is is saying no, which, you know, blocking what the president wants to do, which is probably what's going to happen, come up with a plan, show that you have a plan, show strong leadership. But again, if you 
if you're going to investigate, that's fine, but you shouldn't lead off. That shouldn't be the lead story the day after you find, or it could have been the day of, that you found you had the majority in the House. That's just not what people want to hear. Well, at least independent voters and and Democrats don't want to hear that. Yeah, I think uh, Democrats do want to hear it in some instances, so long as it's uh, the reverse, right? So right. immediately uh, at the outset of 2022, um, I'm sorry, uh, the, the outset of 2020, after the election, the uh, presidential election that previous fall, uh, it was announced quite quite quickly that there would be investigations into the January 6th events and they happened and I think there was wide support for them whereas in these sorts of investigations into potentially criminal activity there's there's much less an appetite for it amongst people who are like we said independent minded and uh, you know again it's it's a feeling of, of flat footedness right in the Republican Party it seems like um, they're they're more awake to the problems and to the desires of the electorate, um, but still not quite as at a, hmm, not quite as capable of responding as the Democrat Party seems to be. Um, even if the de the Democrat Party responds and the results are catastrophic, <laughs> like as we're seeing with the, the energy crisis um, by which we're all confronted, they still always seem to be somewhat on their toes and and then they'll move forward and then they'll move forward collectively whereas within the republican ranks there just seem to be a lot of disunion um a lot of a lot of faction and and sort of an uncertainty a lack of confidence in itself right um so my hope is that they are able to do both things but to prioritize those things yes indeed to delve into the seemingly nefarious <laughs> um, peccadillos into which Hunter Biden has gotten himself, perhaps linking his father to those uh, financial boons um, of which he was the beneficiary um, as the bag man for the family, but then also to focus really predominantly on the bread and butter issues, right? Price of gasoline, the price of the Thanksgiving turkey, that for which we'll all be shopping, um, you know, um, education, energy, uh, the economy, very basic things that we're all concerned with. Um, so I want to ask you, given this announcement, what do you foresee happening in 2024? We sort of touched on it, but do you have great confidence in the prospect of President Trump being the candidate uh, come that time, I guess it would be 2023. Maybe give me your percent chance of him, of his becoming uh, the nominee. I, I think he's going to do very well in the primaries and he'll probably turn out to be the nominee. Um, and then he'll lose the general election to, to Biden. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if a DeSantis can follow the Florida, what happened in Florida, and bring that across the country. What happened in Florida is they see a strong leader. They see someone standing up to the media. They see very good, very strong governance. I, as someone from New Jersey, I, I pay attention to what happens in Florida, but someone from Connecticut may, may not pay attention to what's going on in Florida 
someone out in the state of Washington may not pay attention to what's happening in Florida. So it's hard to, it's hard to show that and to leverage what you've done in Florida into the, into the primaries and beyond. President Trump can run on a presidential record. He can run on the fact that things were better under him. Inflation was lower. The price of gas was less. The cost of energy was less. We were energy independent. A lot of things were different under under Trump than they are under Biden. And so, so you, he... So you think that Ron DeSantis isn't adequately well-known? He's not sufficiently famous across America to be able to to compete at this point at this point i don't feel he is but he may he may gain in popularity especially again trump came in early and if people start to and the republicans start to sour on trump then then biden can can move forward the you interesting to, thing you have to remember though and um ron DeSantis was uh almost without exception among uh, the left-leaning media, the bete noir for the past few years, right? He had the distinction of being called uh, Ron Death Santis fairly regularly by those commenting on his uh, approach to the pandemic. Uh, so at that time, you'll remember, he was also seen as sort of the miniature Trump, right? was Ron and Don, or Don and Ron. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think Ron DeSantis probably does have that requisite name recognition at this point. And I think his appeal will only grow the more President Trump begins to criticize him, begins to uh, bestow upon him some of his frivolous nicknames. I think if, if all goes well, that approach will all be to Ron DeSantis's advantage. And I think his uh, appeal will, will only wax in the minds and the hearts of a lot of Americans who are looking for something alternate to President Trump, um, more mature um, than President Trump, um, and certainly equally as capable as President Trump. And I think that uh, Governor DeSantis, up until this point, has proven that time and again, and I think that a lot of his, um, a lot of the battles in which he's been engaged, be it with Disney, be it with uh, the teachers in Florida, um, be it with, uh, <laughs> well, the the DHS, I guess we could say, in uh, his recent shipment of illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard and to other places in the Northeast, I think all of these things have made him something of a of a household name be it a good name or a bad name that depends on your perspective but i do think he's at least um inhabiting a lot of people's minds and i think people are quietly wishing at this point perhaps more vocally um hoping that he replaces president trump as the candidate uh, for the the election of 2024 i think that subdued wish will um, manifest itself uh, during the primaries. I think a lot of people who are um, fearful of um, sacrificing their commitment to President Trump 
will will um, will vocally champion all that he's done and will um, at least uh, putatively claim that they'll support him going forward. But I think that once it comes down to it, uh, when they're standing in that polling booth in their local um, <laughs> um, place at which they vote, they might be more inclined to go with uh, Ron DeSantis. That's my hope, at least. Yeah, you, that's that's very very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I you know I think DeSantis is a strong candidate. Um, he's certainly a, a lot younger. He's got great ideas, great governance, well educated, be sharp. It would be a complete change from the last eight years. Trump is going to take a lot of the flack from the media in the early going. And maybe, maybe this DeSantis kind of comes in at the end and maybe the media punches themselves out. But I think the, the best thing now that has happened for the media is Trump's making this announcement because now people are going to start watching CNN again. People are going to start watching like, MSNBC CNN again. Is like, is like Lazarus being uh, brought back from the dead. <laughs> you can you can sense its uh, revitalization just with the mere announcement. And yeah, this is something uh, over which all these media companies uh, and institutions are just salivating. And as a viewer, um, simply seeking entertainment, uh, <laughs> uh, it is compelling, and this is something that, in in some ways, I do want to see, for that um, antagonism between the two sides. But I think at this point the stakes are too high, right? <laughs> I think last time the media played a significant role, an outsized role, in elevating Trump to the position that he ultimately inhabited. Now, without that media presence, who's to say if he would be as successful as he as he ultimately became? Um, and you know the media then is at fault for for creating you know this this monster if you want to use that term that they were then unable to contain right it's the old Frankensteinian problem <laughs> um, but uh, yeah as as a more sober and um, judicious um, citizen of this country as opposed to a mere spectator of entertainment. Um, my heartfelt wish is that he he, he is not reelected, um, and I I absolutely can see, like I said earlier, that Florida situation of a, a narrow win, uh, the one year, and a wide margin of victory the second term, um, being reflected nationally. I can absolutely foresee, and and perhaps I'm disclosing sort of my um, preference in this situation. But I could foresee a slim victory by a man like Ron DeSantis in 2024, and after subsequent four years of hopefully competent and judicious and effective governance, a very wide gap of victory in 2028. Looking far into the future, I know, but that, I would say, is my hopeful prediction. And I want to hold on to that for a little while longer until... <laughs> <laughs> until it becomes clear that President Trump's hold on the party is just too strong and he's um, renominated uh, in in 2023 and going into 2024. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think his hold is loosening. 
uh, you know, Florida had a model where they kind of distanced themselves from Trump and that, and that seemed to work out. Um, I think, you know, I don't, I, I think people are second guessing whether this is worth all the drama that, that Trump brings. It's all about me, that, that myopic view that he has of, of everything. Um, so uh, what you're, what you're predicting may, may come true. Uh, the Republican Party may get absolutely burnt out by by his shenanigans and, and the way he's acting, and they may push someone else forward. And I can't tell you how many young mothers I've spoken to, um, the very demographic um, from whom he's lost a lot of support, who have told me that they will not vote for this man. They may have done so in 2020, hesitantly and begrudgingly, but they would not do so again. Uh, I've had that conversation many, many times, and that's very disturbing. Again, in a place like Collier County, Florida, most of, most of which is Republican-leaning. So that's an important anecdotal piece of evidence that I have to put forth is that this is not a palatable candidate to the very people whom he needs to appeal to, right? The, the let's say, white or even Latina suburban women with children, younger, a younger demographic, an educated demographic. Um, he bled support from that demographic in 2020 and is likely to do so again in 2024. And as we saw in this most recent election, the results of the, the midterms in 2022, that will likely be the margin of victory, right? This In these midterms in Pennsylvania and Nevada and, and Arizona and Colorado, you saw women especially fleeing from the Republican candidates that were seen to be a little bit unserious and too extreme and going to the Democrats who by comparison I, I'm not sure exactly how, but by comparison, presented themselves as being much more moderate, much more sober and judicious, and much more attentive to their needs, be they the abortion access issue or the democracy is in peril issue, both of which had more resonance with the with the women um, voting in those states. So I see that happening again in 2024, should President Trump run again. Um, Maybe we can conclude with one thought. It, it's it's an idea on which I want to base my my next essay, and that's on the unwilling statesman, right? So the exemplary figure, uh, the hero of the American story is George Washington, and all throughout his writings, throughout his letters. And even throughout some of his formal declarations and announcements, his farewell address, um, for instance, he emphasizes almost as um, in a plaintive way his desire to retreat from public life, to go away, to go back to Mount Vernon, which we visited a few years ago and had a great time, but to go back to that hallowed space along the Potomac River and simply live his life. When he was first elected, 
in the latter part of the 18th century after a long difficult struggle uh, against the British in the revolution. He did not want to occupy high office, right? This is the reason he was called the Cincinnatus. And Cincinnatus was, a, was an ancient uh, Roman general who was called up to be dictator for a short uh, period of time and perhaps could have aspired and taken, aspired to and taken more power, but, um, but deferred and instead went back to his farm and, and took up his plow and continued on as a, as, a, as a good Roman citizen. Washington did something similar, or at least wanted to do something similar. The exigencies of the time, I think, did not allow him to pursue this Cincinnatian uh, dream. He instead was drawn back, voted almost unanimously to become president of the United States, and did so for two terms. Again, though, throughout the course of his presidency, he voices again and again his desire to retire. I almost think that should be a prerequisite to uh, the presidency. It should be a strong uh, and, and repeatedly stated desire not to be president, not to want that power. What I see in these politicians, not quite statesmen in the way that George Washington was, but what I see in these politicians is an insatiable desire to hold on to power. You see it in an elderly man like Joe Biden who has been in public office almost his entire adult life. You see it in President Trump who has been a business mogul and has been in political office for one for less time, granted, but still seeks it actively, avariciously. I acknowledge that this is a an ideal that will never come true. You're never going to have a, a completely unwilling politician um, land himself in public office, right? But I want that approach. I think a return to that approach would really be an endearing feature in a candidate for whom I was to vote. Um, so I just wanted to end with that. It's an idea uh, that I'm still working out. Um, I want to put it to words, but I no longer want these power-hungry, um, avaricious, ambitious politicians. I want someone who doesn't want the job, above all. Your final thoughts on that? Well, you, you have the, the reluctant president, the reluctant hero. I think George Washington they don't come along very often uh you know amazing life amazing career just amazing war hero he had fatigue i mean he had war fatigue he was in multiple wars i think he fought one war for the british and then he fought one war against the british major campaigns so i think he was fatigued most of which um, were spent in our home state of New Jersey, which he yes. couldn't wait to escape. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Bruce Springsteen. 
<laughs> Both and, were born to run. That's right. And and Bruce Springsteen is still living in New Jersey. He couldn't wait to get out. But but he, he, you know, he was he was completely fatigued and the the presidency wasn't a way to make a fortune. It, it I, I I just read the the um Killing Lincoln book. And and Lincoln was hoping that after the presidency was over that that he could go back to becoming a lawyer and maybe save a little bit of money um, because they were either breaking even or, or broke while they lived in the, in the white house. So it wasn't something where you can amass a tremendous amount of wealth. You had to go back to doing what it, what it was that you were doing, whether it be a, a farmer, like in the case of George Washington, a tobacco farmer or raising livestock uh, or being a, a small town lawyer, which is what Lincoln wanted to do. You talk about fatigue, massive amount of fatigue that 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 Lincoln had. Um, there's just too much money in in this. I can't figure for the life of me how being a senator for 30 years or 30 plus years, I know what they pay the U.S. senators, and then becoming the president, how you've amassed such a tremendous amount of wealth same with nancy pelosi i mean she's amassed a tremendous amount of wealth so for the life of me i can't figure it out i know well the answer husband, to the pelosi question is is perfectly obvious it's the sagacious investing strategies employed by her renowned husband paul pelosi a, a, a genuine american genius <laughs> so maybe you know a great we should actually pick the same stocks that he he picks maybe he could run a fund for for everybody for everybody in the country who's lost so much money in this recession we'll have paul pelosi run a uh, a mutual fund for us that'd be great you know we could bounce back um so you know and and you know again not to not to knock the pelosi's she's she's mentioned that she's going to go back and and represent San Francisco, which would be nice because you talk about a city on decline under her watch. I mean, horrific, horrific. And again, that's that's what I'm talking about, or what I had mentioned earlier, when you know, as soon as the as soon as the um, the House of Representative became in the Republicans' favor, as soon as the Republicans won the House, how they went on the offensive and how they're going to investigate. And, and and didn't talk about governance. It's the same thing with Nancy Pelosi. She's got, you know, it's a hellscape. San Francisco is a hellscape. Pay attention to the people who elected to get you there. That that's all that I'm saying. Take a take a page out of George Washington's book. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's it's not only. I mean, Washington is the the exemplary figure, um, but. Most of our founders approached public office the same way. Adams, right? He returned to Braintree, Massachusetts, and spent his elder years as the, the father of many esteemed children, including John Quincy, um, the grandfather of many uh, uh, grandchildren, and also something of a farmer himself. Uh, Jefferson was similar. M Madison, the same way. Uh, they weren't. They weren't departing from the White House. Uh, seeking 
deals with Netflix worth upwards of $100 million and just enriching themselves in perpetuity, owning multiple mansions in, in um, uh, Washington, D.C. and Honolulu, Hawaii, and, um, and in California, as the, the Obama family does. I think that, that example of the Obama family is one that's particularly disquieting to, to Americans who still um, hold very dear in their imagination the idea of, of this Cincinnatian-type George Washington figure who serves in his office begrudgingly and retires from it gracefully and unostentatiously um, instead of profiting not just handsomely but exorbitantly because of his tenure in office, not having been a rich man upon his entrance into that office. So maybe we can conclude on that thought. I know you have a show that you'll be attending this evening. Can you perhaps give us a, um, uh, a synopsis of that show? No, I cannot. I have no idea what show I'm going to. <laughs> it's but it's a, a broad, it's a it's an off Broadway show. That's correct. The Pittman Theater, great place to see a show. I'm Very not sure cool. the name of the show. We have no financial arrangement with the Pittman Theater, but we certainly strongly endorse it here on Finneran's Wake. I'll be um, driving this massive 26-pound turkey, frozen turkey, over to <laughs> your condo um, that you'll be visiting just within the, the coming week, and we'll be able to record for all of our viewers' enjoyment and pleasure and delight and education and enlightenment what will be our third patio politics conversation <laughs> live and in person on an actual patio um, in, in better weather, certainly in better weather um, than you're experiencing up there in New Jersey. Um, so I think with that, we will bid farewell um, and conclude this episode of patio politics on Finneran's wake. Thank you all for joining in and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you, Daniel. Take care. You have a good night. You too, Dad.